Overconfidence and the tendency to discount the future are far more likely to destroy fundamental hopes and prospects if a person is poor. But these cognitive frailties are not just a poor person's hubris. Wealthy investors, too, are dramatically overconfident in their beliefs that their intuition is reliable and their judgment correct. Indeed, the extent of the 2007-2008 subprime mortgage crisis owed much to the overconfidence of professionals. It was a punishing gamble. Like a veteran gambler, every savvy investor has a system. Anyone who plays the market is sure that he possesses some unique insight that puts him out in front of the other guy. But just as a gambler always loses to the house in the long run, an overconfident investor will eventually get burned. Clever investors and fund managers characteristically pride themselves on anticipating the slightest uptick or downturn in their stocks, and in their ability to time their trades precisely. Ironically, the cleverer they think they are, the more actively they buy and sell, the more likely they are to lose. Data consistently show the overmanagement of one's stocks, with frequent and aggressive trading, will result directly in diminished returns. Conversely, a bundle of thoughtfully chosen stocks left untouched for a period of years, in an index fund, say, will steadily increase in value as the market's overall value increases. Short-term, overconfident thinking causes the average family to lose roughly a quarter of a million dollars over a lifetime. Why do so many millions of people continue to insist on trying to outsmart the markets? Quite simply because they believe they can, and they believe so in the face of overwhelming, albeit counterintuitive, evidence to the contrary. A normal reaction to hearing about these all-too-human foibles, simple investment overconfidence and seduction by payday loans, is empathy. People's wills are powerless in the grip of overconfidence or in the face of desperation. We can hardly blame military families for choosing as best they can from a slate of terrible options. The natural thing to do is empathize with them, to feel their desperation and understand their position. And knowing that the world changes in ways that are harmful and surprising, an effective empathy must be vigilant. It must survey the social landscape for similar cases in which the market, together with existing laws, could crush the prospects of citizens burdened by their own decency, honor, or helplessness. In fact, at the first signs that military families were special targets of payday lenders, moral outrage animated the public outcry. Only empathy can explain this, referring to the payday loan industry as an open sore, one of the primary sponsors of the 2002 law that had made Virginia a payday lending state eventually confessed, I'm embarrassed I was ever affiliated with it at all. Because most American citizens treat military service as a cherished value, this publicity shamed government officials into reversing the permissive regulations offered to payday lenders in earlier legislation. But it soon became clear that other victims of predatory lending were not so different from military families. For example, single mothers abandoned by their spouses but too noble to neglect their children. Or middle-class families bravely trying to ride out periods of job loss and career change in a volatile employment atmosphere. Predatory lending affects all of these groups. Even in states where military bases don't predominate, the number of payday lending stores has grown rapidly. In Ohio, payday lending stores in the state have increased in number from 107 in 1996 to more than 1,500 in 2007. 
According to the Ohio Coalition for Responsible Lending, Ohio now has more payday lending stores than McDonald's, Burger King, and Wendy's restaurants combined. The next step, now being taken, will protect middle-class people with uncertain credit from subprime credit card merchants. There are worse things in life than making poor decisions, such as living in a society where there are no good options. Fortunately, that's not our problem in the United States. Our problem is that the genuinely good options aren't available to everybody. People don't choose to ignore their health or to embrace predatory lending rates. The idea that people can choose what they want is an oversimplification, and a dangerous one. And when we choose poorly, these failures do not have a pure pedigree. They are part individual irrationality, part unconscious influence, and part lousy choices. Risks that appear to result from personal choice often have a political origin. Errors in reasoning at the individual...